Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, this is a, a strange, frightening story. A story of a man who's, who has had his life totally wrecked by demonic forces, Lord. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand this story. Why did you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, place this story in the middle of your scriptures, Lord? What do you have to teach us, Lord? Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Bring us understanding, Lord. Shape our lives by this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now the interesting thing about this story is it's, a, it's sort of a parallel story from the story we saw last week. If, if you are here last week, we told the story of Jesus calming the wind and the waves. Right, this this terrible storm, where they where the him the disciples believed they were going to die, right, and, and the power of Jesus's voice was able to calm the storm and the waves. And today we see another storm, but this storm is not an external storm. This is an internal storm in this man's life, right? Chaos, destruction, and we see the the power of Jesus over both external storms and internal storms. And what we're going to see is that Jesus will go anywhere, do anything, and offend anyone to fulfill his mission. Now, this story would have been very offensive to Jews in this day, right? Here's Jesus. He's in this region of the Gerasenes, which is Gentile territory. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, there were Jews, right? And Gentiles are everyone else, right? So Jesus is in in Gentile territory, would have been considered unclean territory. Uh, here's, here he's dealing with a man who has an unclean spirit inside of him, living in filthy, nasty, cold, dark tombs, right? Uh, among unclean and, and defiled dead bodies. And the story includes a story of, of pigs, which to the Jews were unclean. They didn't eat pork. Right? Pigs are unclean. And to top it off, the pigs are probably being raised to feed Romans who are oppressing the Jews. Right? The, the Roman uh, power is over Israel. Right? So this is a very offensive story. And we see this demoniac. Verses 2 through 5 give us a little picture of this demoniac. No one could bind him anymore. You know, that means at some point, he was able to be bound, right? At some point, maybe his family, maybe people in the area had, had grabbed him and wrestled him down and, and chained him up. He's probably, I, I can imagine, he's terrifying people in this whole area, right? And, and so this demonic force, this demonic power in his life has grown where he's able to literally break chains and, and wrench off these shackles, probably, you know, ripping his flesh to pieces. I imagine no one went near this area you know and this is a this is almost a a horrific like a a a horror movie type story right this man is 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 crying out night and day makes me think of like uh the the wolf man right or the uh some terrifying monster right he's crying out night and day he's cutting himself with stones now jesus we see jesus and his disciples uh, arriving in this area they get off the boat, and immediately it says 
he sees Jesus and he charges towards Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have been the moment I jumped in the boat and started paddling this fast. I didn't care if the disciples were there, but I, I would have been gone, right? I would probably ran so fast I would have been on top of the water. But Jesus, what we see with Jesus is he stands his ground, right? Jesus doesn't run. He, he doesn't fear. He doesn't flinch. He, he stands his ground, and instead, the demoniac, which I imagine he sees people, he probably chases them, terrifies them out of this area, right? He bows, and he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he begins begging Jesus, what do you want to do with me, Jesus? Right? Please don't send me out. Please. Right? He's, he's begging. He's pleading. Don't torment me, Jesus. And you'll notice one thing about the demoniac. This is important. Is, is he knows who Jesus is. Right? There was no formal introduction. They didn't shake hands. He knows who Jesus is. And he confesses Jesus as the son of the most high God. Right? Because Jesus is, is God. He's the creator God. And he creates the heavens and the earth, and he created the, the angels and the demons. And demons are just fallen angels who have rebelled against God. So he's known Jesus from the beginning. And there's this interesting thing. Jesus asks him what his name is. And we find out his name is Legion. Now, Legion is, is more than just a name. It's a name and a description. Uh, a Legion w- was a Roman military unit you know, army unit of comprised of five to 6,000 men, right? And so this man literally has a legion, thousands of demons inside of him, right? Thousands of demons. And, you know, it's probably somewhere 2,000 to 6,000, who knows, right? Because 2,000 pigs go over that cliff. And I also think this describes the great power that this, this man possesses, possesses by, by the, this demonic power, why he's able to break these chains. There's an army of demons inside of him. And, and what I think is really cool is that an army of demons bows down, falls down before Jesus. You would think there would be a, a war, that there would be a fight, right? 2,000 2, verse 1, you might have a, a, a chance, no chance, on their knees, begging and pleading, before Jesus. And we see this strange thing happen. The, le- the, the legion uh, begs disciple, uh, Jesus to go into the pigs, right? And, and strangely and unexplainably, Jesus permits it, right? Sends them into the pi- uh, to the pigs. They go over the cliff, which I, I think is a, a visual picture of their destruction. Right? It's a, a visual picture of them being judged and, and, and cast into the abyss is what, I'm think, what I think is going on there. But Jesus nor Mark seem concerned to explain why. Why the pigs? We usually want to get kind of, when we hear this story, caught up in why, why these pigs? But God doesn't care to, to share, explain why he's doing this, casting them into pigs. Because I think the story is not about the pigs. The story is about the power of Christ Jesus, right? It's about the authority of Jesus where demons can't even do anything without begging and pleading, right? They're at, they're at the, they have to submit to the will of God. And I think it's also to show us that 
the rescue and restoration of one person is more important than 2,000 pigs, right? These pigs probably had great value. This was part of their economy to raise these animals and sell them for meat, you know. This, this was money. And, and it, it, the economy, money doesn't matter anything to God over people. God's a personal God and a loving God. Now we get to the second part. Follow along with me. I'm going to read starting in verse 14. It tells us, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Right, so we see the response now. The herdsmen flee to the near countryside and to the, the city and, and gather people to come see what has happened. Now, when, when they get there, they find the demoniac, right? The de- demonized man with Jesus. He's at the feet of Jesus. He's, he's clothed. He's in his right mind. Right? This is a, this is a picture of, of, of salvation. Right? God sa- saved him. It's a picture of discipleship. Right now he's cold. He's in his right mind. He's he's at the feet of Jesus. Right, that's where we belong. When 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 Jesus redeems us, when he saves us, at his feet. Now you notice that they were afraid. It's interesting because even last week we saw the the disciples after were afraid in the storm, and after Jesus, you know, calmed the wind and the waves, it says they're filled with great fear. So last, we, we see this, this, this theme that's happening here this, last week, this week, and even into next week of, of faith versus fear, right? Do you see the power of God move? The natural response is fear, right? When you see God's power, you fall to your knees. Now, last week we saw uh, that fear lead, lead the disciples to faith. Believing in Jesus and having a, a reverent fear and an awe of God. Now, these people don't have the same response as the disciples did. Their fear leads them to, to beg Jesus. They want him out of here, right? They're afraid because who is this man that, is, that, that it, his power is costly to us? Who is this man? He's, he's a threat to us controlling our lives. He's a threat to our economy. He's a threat to everything. What might he ask of us next? Right? They, so they fear him. They want him out of there. And they're, they're begging him to leave. Whoever he is, they don't want anything to do with him. And, you know, you see this strange thing where they, they, it seems like they prefer the demonic activity over Jesus. Right? They prefer status quo. Don't, don't mess anything up for us, Jesus. And uh, so that's the, the second time that we see begging. There's, a, there's this theme through this, through this uh, story here. And then we see it again. A third time we see begging as the demoniac in verse 18, he begs Jesus. 
He's begging Jesus, but he's got the right response. He's got the, the faith response because what he's begging for is not for Jesus to leave or not destroy me. He's, he's begging Jesus to go with him. He begs Jesus to be one of his disciples. Begging and pleading, that's the right response. That's the mark of a true believer is, is that desire to be with Jesus. And you see, Jesus doesn't permit him. Jesus doesn't let him go. And I, I believe uh, a big reason is because Jesus' mission to the Jews wasn't com- completed. Jesus wasn't done, right? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. And, and to bring a Gentile along with him would have been too much for the Jews. They're already rejecting him and struggling to follow him. And, and you bring a Gentile now, they're just not ready. If you look in the book of Acts, when, when the, the apostle Paul starts talking about Gentiles being included in the people of God, they want to kill him because they hate the Gentiles. They hate the Gentiles because they're the ones that are oppressing him, them. And so uh, Jesus doesn't permit him, but instead he sends him to be a missionary to the Gentiles, right? He sends him off on, on his mission. He tells him to go home, go home. Tell your, fr- tell your friends how, how the Lord, all the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. If you're wondering, that's in verse 19, right? Go home. Tell your family first. Show yourself to them, right? God's mission always begins in our home, right? If we don't go home and share what the Lord has done for you and, and his mercy, you know, we're, we're, we're out of whack. We need to start at home, family, and, and his children maybe, his closest of relatives. And then tell your friends. Tell them. Tell them what God has done for you. And, and, and tell them about his great mercy. Tell them how you were demonized and you deserve destruction that those pigs deserved or that those pigs got, that those demons got. But you got God's grace and you got restoration in your life. So I got a, I got a few application points, what, what we can learn from this story. Right? The first one is I, I think that that same call that God gave to this, this demonized man is the same call that he gives to his church. Right? He, he's, he sent his church. She said, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I'm sending you. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? He calls us to make disciples of all nations. So God's people have the same call as this this demonized man who had been restored, right? And, and I love how simple Jesus makes his mission here with this statement, right? His mission is simple. Go home, right? Start at home. Share the gospel. Read and pray with, with your children. You know, tell your, tell your spouse, whoever's living with you, what the Lord has done for you, right? Tell them about his mercy. Go, then go tell your friends. And then it continues on and on, right? your neighbors, your co-workers. And and the cool thing is Jesus doesn't say, go and tell them all the doctrines. Have all the right doctrines. Have all the right answers. No, he just says, hey, just tell them what God's done for you. He makes it simple for us, right? Tell them your story. Tell them about who you were. And then when you met Jesus, how he changed you. Tell them what he's done for you. Tell them about his mercy. Tell them how you were a sinner. And you deserve the wrath of God. You, deserve, you didn't deserve anything before God except for being judged. And yet God had grace on, 
on you. A sinner, right? And he, and he loves us, and, and he calls us into his family. Tell him about that. So I'd, I'd urge you not to, to forget that. And, and sometimes we, we get scared to tell people about Jesus because, oh, what if I don't have the, all the answers? And none of us do. But if you, know, if you know enough to follow Jesus with your life, to give him your life, you know enough to tell someone about him. Right? This demoniac wasn't a, a theologian, but God had changed his life, and he could tell about that. The second thing I, I want to highlight is that Jesus has the authority to heal the deepest and darkest troubles of the human soul. He can ensl- handle all the, the forces that enslave us. And he can free us, right? Because Jesus comes not into our life not as just a rule giver, but as a healer and master. Right? He comes as, as Lord. He comes to rule over our lives, all of our lives. That's why at Redemption Church we say all of life is all for Jesus. Right? He comes to take all of our lives. And so the all, alternative to having Jesus as our master, right, as our Lord, is to be mastered by something else. Right? The alternative, I'll say that again, to having Jesus as our Lord and our master is to be mastered by something else. Now all of us, that's not saying that we're all demonized and have thousands of demons, and you know, but we can have other things that we place at the center of our lives that can master us. Right? Anything we place at the middle of our lives besides Jesus begins to master us, right? We, we, whatever we put at the center is what we worship. It's what we give our, our life to. For, for, so, for example, a, a career can master, be the master of our lives. If I put my career at the center of my life, my, my whole life is about my career and working my way up the ladder and getting bonuses and, and getting more money and being successful in the eyes of the world, and when I lose my job, it crushes me. When I don't get the promotion I, I, I was longing for, right, I'm upset. When I don't get the credit at work that I think I deserve, someone else gets the credit, right, I'm complaining, I'm bitter, I'm angry, right? When career's the center of our life, we could, we could uh, even sacrifice our own family, right, relationships for the sake of our career, Right? We think it's just enough to put food on the table. Right? So career can end up mastering us and, and even destroying our, our families and our marriage if it's the center. Right? That's not even saying a career is bad and working hard is bad, but it's a bad ma- master. Right? Because when Jesus is your king, when Jesus is your master, you do everything for the glory of God. So it's not the center of your life. Right? God's will. Being a child of God, a child of God and living for the kingdom of God is the center. And so it changes the way you pursue career, right? You work hard and, and you seek to make money, but it, ultimately it's about God's glory and doing what he would want me to do. Another, another, I'll give you another example. Sexual sin can enslave us. Now, sexual sin has, the, has some of the greatest power to darken the human soul, to make us cold, to to kill our conscience, right? Because as we, we go into it, it, it starts out maybe fun. 
exciting, thrilling. I'm not hurting anyone, right? But what happens is you continually have to have a, a greater thrill, something more exciting, something new, right? I don't know if you know what the law of diminishing returns is, but it's the law that as you take something, it gives you a return. But that return diminishes over time when you take it. And, and, and you've got to have more and more or newer and, and bigger and more exciting to get the same effect that you had at first. For example, you drink your first time you drink beer, right? You, get a, you might get buzzed on the first beer. And, and, and then the more you drink it, the more you can drink and to, you have to drink to get that same feeling. And so that's the same thing with, with sexual sin is you have to keep going darker and darker, and that's how it drags people into brokenness and despair and, and can ruin your lives, right, and master you. So it's no joke, nothing to play with. Other people's approval can be one of those, right? I've got to have other people pleased with me. or I want them to think nice things of me. I, I, I need a, a, maybe a parent's approval, and I'm controlled by their approval. I'll do anything. I'll even sin to get people's approval, right? That can master us. Another, I think this is a huge one. Another thing that can master us is unforgiveness and bitterness. Unforgiveness. Maybe some, a, a parent uh, or a family member or, or, or a friend did something to us and, and we refuse to forgive them. And, and that bitterness and that unforgiveness becomes the, the center of our life. Right? We won't let it go. We, 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 we want to hang on to it. We wanna, maybe we want to get revenge. Right? It can master us and, and control all of our relationships. Right? You're living in bondage to that. And Jesus, Jesus can, can heal us of all those things, of all those bondages. He can set us free from all things. Right? Because when Jesus comes in our life, He becomes the Lord. He becomes the Master and Savior. He begins to rule and reign. And His grace and His truth come into our lives and, and replace the lies we've believed. They replace the the, the, the control that we seek to have over our lives. And as the gospel comes in and, and begins to, to dominate our thinking, right, we begin to lay down more and more things to him, to submit more and more things to his kingship and experience greater freedom. Right? That's what he does. He frees us from the power of false masters and saviors. And so like the demoniac, we, we, be, we're, we get restored and we become in our, in our right mind to be able to have a renewed thinking is what the scripture calls it. We get a, a renewed mind and be able to think according to the truth of, of God's word. We, be, we begin to long to be with Jesus, just like the demoniac. He longed to be with Jesus. He was at the feet of Jesus. He was begging to go with Jesus. That's what happens when, when Jesus becomes the Lord of our life, right? We have love, motivated obedience, right? We begin to obey God, not, not out of duty, but because we love him. And we begin to tell others what the Lord has done for us, all right? I want to end with this. I want to show you three, the three different responses really quick. We see that these two of the responses were with fear, and one was with faith. You see the demons, all right, they show that that faith goes beyond intellectual understanding. 
Right? Faith goes beyond intellectual understanding. James 2.19 tells us that the demons believe and they shudder. Right? The de- demons have good theology. The demons know who Jesus is. They confess him before everyone knows who he is. But it's not simply enough just to believe intellectually. Right? For example, here I got, there's a chair here in front of me. I can believe that that chair can hold me intellectually, right? But if I refuse to sit in it, it, it shows that I don't trust that it can hold me, right? I got, it goes beyond, faith goes beyond just believing it, but it, it goes to, I, I sit in that chair, and I rest my weight in it, and I trust that it can hold me, right? So the, the demons believe, but they don't trust. They don't surrender their lives to Jesus, right? They're in, in rebellion to Jesus. So faith moves us beyond just that, that believing intellectually to confessing and trusting Jesus. And so what that means for us, because we're not demons, right, is that you can go to church your whole life. You can read all the Bible. You can, you can go to seminary, get a degree, right? You can go to church every week. You can try to be a, a good person, right, and still not have any faith. Right? You can do all those things because faith is, is not about all these things I do. Right? I'm not saved by my church or, or, the, or reading the Bible or, or doing good things. We're, we're saved by, by Jesus and putting our faith in him, casting ourselves at his mercy. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. Right? We're saved by grace. That's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Right? The, the demoniac, the, he didn't deserve anything. He didn't earn anything. Right? He didn't have to go to church before he got saved. Right? God saves him because he's a gracious God. Right? And he sa- we're saved by faith. Right? Not in what we do. It's faith in what Jesus has already done. Casting ourselves at the mercy of God. And You see, he says it twice, not our doing, not our works, not about us. It's about God, right? So no one can boast. So we can't go around bragging and boasting about how good I was and how smart I was that I accepted Jesus. No, he he saved me. He rescued me is the the story of every believer. The second uh, response is we see the, the townspeople, right? They see the great power of Jesus, as I talked about. And they don't want anything to do with Jesus. Following Jesus is too costly. What might he ask of me? And so his power is a threat to him. And so faith is being willing to accept the personal presence of Jesus and the loss of control that comes with it. Right? I'll read that again. Faith is being willing to accept the personal presence of Jesus and the loss of control that comes with us. Some of us will not receive Jesus because we don't want to lose control of our lives, right? Jesus is a threat to my way of life. What might he ask of me? I'd rather know it, Jesus. I'd rather have the status quo, right? And, and a lot of times it's because we're, we're doing all right. Maybe we, we, got, we got enough money. We're, we're living pretty comfortable. Life's pretty happy. And sometimes... Health and wealth 
and prosperity are not a result of faith, but an obstacle to faith. Right? That's why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because we think we have enough. We don't need it. We, everything's going pretty good. So Jesus, leave the status quo. Don't stir up my life too much. I don't know what you're going to ask of me. And, I, and I'll keep going my own way. And that's how the townspeople were. And that's how we can be. And just FYI, when we, te- when we tend to think of rich people, we always think of, all oh, that person that has more money than us. Well, all of us, all Americans live, have more money than 90% of the world. You know, probably even higher than that, right? Americans, if you're living in America, even if you're poor in America, you're rich compared to most of the world. You know, so it's, we always want to think rich people are other. So this is a warning for, for all of us, right, that we could want just the status quo because everything's going pretty good. And so the last one is, is the demoniac. That's where we see a, a faith-filled response, right, a faith-filled response. In contrast to the demons and the townspeople, he begs to be with Jesus. Unlike Jesus, unlike uh, the, the demons, right, he doesn't just confess Jesus, but, but he, he wants to give it all, right? He falls on his knees before Jesus. Unlike the townspeople, he gives control of his life no matter the cost. And Jesus even gives him a different calling than he envisions, Right? He wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, I want you to do this, and he accepts it. He responds in obedience. He's a wonderful example of faith. And I think the ironic thing is that the demoniac is is good soil. A few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the soils, right? I, I think this is so amazing that a demoniac can have good soil a heart ready to receive the Lord, right? That's not the way we think. We would think the townspeople, the ones that are pretty good people, but what it shows us is that God can save anyone, anywhere, at any time, even a demoniac. No matter how broken people's lives are or how how deep and dark into despair, how controlled they are by sin, Jesus can save them. I want to I want to end with this this quote here. This is a quote that gives us a, a, a just a quote to help us see the gospel in this. So let me read it and I'll pray. It's by N.T. Wright. It says, "At the climax of Mark's story, Jesus Himself will end up naked, isolated, outside the town, among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things as He's torn apart on the cross by the standard Roman torture." His flesh torn to ribbons by the small stones in the Roman lash. And that, Mark is saying, will be how the demons are dealt with. That is how healing takes place. Jesus is coming to share the plight of the people, to let the enemy do its worst to him, to take the full force of evil on himself and let others go free. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I I thank you, Lord, that you came to set the captives free. We see you setting the captive free, Lord, this demoniac. We see even this powerful quote shows us how how you're willing to exchange places with the demoniac so that he may go free. And you're willing to exchange the place. You took our place on the cross so that we could have freedom 
in you so that we could know you, Lord, and, and experience your grace and walk in discipleship like this man, restore in his right mind, living obedience, begging, longing to be with you, Lord, and living obediently for you, telling others of, of what you had done in his life and of your mercy. And people marveled at him. I pray that that would be true of our lives, Lord. I pray that we would respond to you in, in faith and not fear, not be afraid of what you might ask of us, and not just have an intellectual belief, but have true faith by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.